like, like my hot wife said right at the beginning, I mean, my wife said at the beginning of worship, um, it, it's been an action-packed weekend for our church as a whole. Um, so my, my youngest daughter, Millie, came up here. Y'all don't understand how excited she was to wear a hairnet to church this morning. Like, she, she has been looking forward to it since Thursday night when she first put it on. And I told her she looked beautiful in it, as any good dad would tell his daughter all the time. I didn't think she would believe it the way that she has throughout this time. So there's a chance she takes that to school tomorrow, and she has a rude awakening from some other mean girls in class. This might be a mistake. Um, but yeah, we, we had Feed the Hunger. Just, uh, just show of hands. Who all, I got to go Thursday, but there's Friday and Saturday. Who all went at least once this weekend? Awesome. Good, good stuff. And, and that's such a cool little deal. And if you get a chance to go next year, it's, it really is. It's packing food. They, they play a bunch of fun songs. Groups go, we just have fun the whole time. That's really all it is. And you get to serve at the same time, feed a whole lot of people in the process. Uh, but, but I think probably my favorite portion during that worship, during that, that serving time uh, my, my role was I was going and, and picking up the food to, to take it and have it packed and shipped. And, and I take extra rice or beans to groups. And so I got to kind of float around and see everybody. I saw multiple churches. Uh, I saw our friends at the fellowship where we worshiped for a few years during, uh, what was it, about 18 months after, after Harvey made us leave here for a little bit. Uh, you know, they say, hey. And I think my favorite part, though, was watching my five-year-old daughter um, seal the bags on one side, but there was two sides where you could seal the bags and Ron Rex Road was on the other side. And so it was so cool to watch these different generations just plugging in and just loving and serving and having a blast along the way. And then to cap it off, we get to go to Soul Link, which um, if you get a chance, if you want to see, I guess the best person to talk to after would be Todd Carpenter because Todd was taking videos during the worship time. Um, and there'll be some videos of, of playback. Uh, you don't have to be a student to go. And so if you ever want to join us, that's, it's every year, it's the last weekend in February. Every year, if you want to mark your calendars for 2024, it's the last, I don't know the dates, it's the last weekend in February. We'd love to have you join for it. Um, as, as I start the lesson, uh, Santa brought my wife this, this game that we have played two or three times, but we're not sure if we want to play it a whole lot more. And here's why. This game is called Hot Takes. And I've talked a little bit about hot takes before, but the, the game is really simple. It, you, there is a primary judge, and then there's everybody else. And that judge will draw a hot take card, which will have an opinion of something. And then every single person who is playing has one card, and it's a double-sided card. It says you disagree with that hot take, or you agree. And the way it works is very simple is that that judge will draw a card, they will read the statement, and then every person playing will either show their agree or disagree card. After that, the side who, everyone who showed the agree card will join into one group of people, and then the uh, agrees one side, disagrees on the other, they will nominate one person, and you'll make your, your argument for why your side is correct. And the judge who theoretically is unbiased, Judge never is when we play, but when it theoretically is unbiased, we'll then decide who gets a point. And then everybody goes back, you agree, disagree. Person with the most points at the end of the game wins. Pretty simple, right? Um, let's play. 
We'll play. This will be fun. So uh, I'm not going to give you the cards. We don't have enough. But I can show, I, I can play a few of these. Some of these I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you. Um, let's see. We're not playing that card. Um, yeah, this is a good one. Okay. There's, there's some, some are better than others. Some are inappropriate and some, I, I just don't want to go there right now. So this is a good one though. And I would love everyone's opinion. So uh, I'll read, I'll read this statement. We're not going to divide into sides. We don't have time for that, but you're welcome to uh, agree or disagree. All right. We'll play this first one. People should get a ticket for leaving a shopping cart in the parking lot. People should get a, a ticket for leaving a shopping cart in the parking lot. Hands up if you agree. Wow. Wow. I'm seeing some double hands. That's, that's impressive. There's a few who disagree. We're going to pray for you after this service. It's cool. I, I mean, I'm, I'm now just wondering how much you think that ticket should be. Should it be like, you know, $1 million? Those people are the worst. Um, uh, okay. This is... Okay, I need to give a little reference to this. So there is a movie that came out about 10, 15 years ago called The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Uh, you seen Benjamin Button? It's Brad Pitt. And it's the concept of the man was born as a super duper duper old man and aged backward. And so when he died, he was a baby. Um, so kind of fascinating concept. So uh, this hot take is, I wouldn't mind living my life backward, Benjamin Button style. Hands up, if, if you would, wouldn't mind, you'd, you'd be okay with living in reverse. You'd age backwards. And Really? Nobody? Okay, so we all want to get older and not younger? I mean, at your own risk. There's one who's nine years old. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, sorry, 11. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. The youngest child is always the favorite. The youngest child is always, whether you're young or not, doesn't matter. The youngest child is always the favorite. Hands up if you agree. Yeah, okay, that's a stereotype, right? And, uh, and the oldest is always the one who gets, who doesn't have, who has the least amount of fun. And then we just forget to mention the middle one altogether. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah, I am. Okay. We'll do. You want to keep going? Let's do this. Skip the lesson. All right. Uh, we, we should stop doing daylight savings time. Hands up if you disagree. Okay, that many. All right. Uh, that was... <laughs> So yes, I think, yeah. Did you know that that's like a state thing? Because I didn't realize, uh, I was in, I think it was Nevada, and discovered they don't, they don't operate under daylight. Arizona, I was, yeah, okay, Arizona, yeah, yeah. They don't celebrate daylight savings time, I celebrate. They don't adhere to it, no one celebrates it. So um, yeah, I consider, what is it, is it two weeks from today is daylight savings time? We're at, where we spring forward, I call it National Be Late to Church Day, and because everyone's, uh, either that or you're just zombies. We'll have extra donuts that morning. Um, let's see. Oh, there is one that I, I found this morning. I don't know if it's in, but this, this can be the last one. I'm just out of curiosity. Uh, celebrities should not be allowed to run for public office. Celebrities should not be allowed to run for public office. Hands up if you agree with that. It should not be allowed. 
You know what this is? It's that one person who ruined it for you, right? There's that one person you're like, really? And then you just, it's done for everybody. And that's, that's one of those rules, right? Um, so, and I, and I like that we call it hot takes because hot take media has become a, a, a big, big thing. Can we go to the next slide? And there you should find media members who are renowned for having what we call hot takes. Uh, true story, a lot of news media outlets, uh, what was it, like five to seven years ago, they fired a ton of their news people because all they did was report the news, which I thought that was their job. Apparently it's not. They, not only do they need to report the news, they need to have an opinion on it. And not only that, it needs to be a hot take opinion, a spicy opinion. And these people, are, they, this is how they make their living. They're celebrities who make a lot of money of having opinions or having really hot take opinions and criticizing the other people or getting really angry about other people's opinions. Because media discovered if you can give an opinion of something and people get angry about it, you get more shares, you get more comments, you get more feed on it, which translates to more money. It's not about being right or wrong. It's about people watching and paying attention to you because that's where the money exists. And that's where so many of these people, and I tried to find people who are right wing, left wing, and the Paul brothers are just flat out crazy. And so a little bit of everything, because it doesn't matter which side you might operate on for this. What matters here is what, what you'll find is that these people say things knowing for a fact it will upset you so that you will begin talking about it. You'll talk about it with your friends. They'll talk about it as well. And all of a sudden, you're coming back to double check on what they said and to see what they said after that, after someone proved or disproved what they said. Because, well, they don't really care whether you like it or not so much as they care whether or not you watch I stopped watching ESPN in the mornings. I loved it because I'd get all the sports highlights. And it was just Stephen A. Smith who was talking about why something in a game happened. And I'm thinking, but what happened in the game? I don't even know what the score was. And this is a regular thing that we'll see throughout so many news media outlets. Now, I say that. I talk about hot takes because... We have an I am statement that we haven't covered yet that actually, if you type in the Christology of John or the I am statements of John, this one actually is not mentioned. If you Google this and look, you'll find seven. This is number eight though. And it didn't make it because, well, there's a number of different reasons, but I think one reason is because of how hot of a take it was when it took place. You see, Jesus is in the temple. He's in the temple courts. He's just outside where they offer these sacrifices. And the Pharisees and other bystanders begin opposing him. And Jesus is talking about who he is and his relationship with his father. And the Pharisees begin saying, no, 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 we, okay, you're demon possessed. There is no way, there's no way that you, you could think that you know these things, who can obey your will because you and the father are, well, what do you mean you know the father? We have Abraham as our ancestor. And, and then Jesus' reply is, well, uh, you know, I, my father and I, we, we knew about Abraham when we thought of, you know, putting Abraham into this world. And, and they said, you're not even 40 years old. How, what makes you think that you know more about Abraham before Abraham? And he said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham even was, I am. Now, the verse right after that says, and then they picked up rocks to stone him. 
To the naked eye, we should be thinking, I should never say I am ever in my life to anyone for any reason because, well, I might die. But there's some gravity behind this. I'm going to backtrack a little bit. And some of this is what I talked about uh, two or three weeks ago. We we discussed the, the meaning of I am. You see, in Genesis 2 and then again in Exodus 3, God reveals the name that he goes by, especially according to the Israelites. Moses says, well, God, if you want me to go to the Egyptians and liberate them, they're going to know who I come on behalf of. What name should I give them? And God said, I am who I am. So tell the Egyptians, I am has sent you. So Moses says, thanks, that clears it up. I'll talk to you later. But in reality, he hears that differently because in Greek, you'd hear that as ego, a me, or to us, Yahweh. Tell them that Yahweh is, has come and is wanting to liberate his people from Israel. Now, if we fast forward to Exodus chapter 20, then God tells the Israelites, you shall not take my name in vain. And he follows that up by saying, it comes with a consequence. You will not go unpunished if you take my name in vain. Now, it actually happens. Leviticus chapter 24, the Israelites come to Moses with a man. They said, Moses, we, we know the law about taking the Lord's name in vain. And this man got into a scuffle with someone and he, he misused the name of God. And, and they wouldn't say Yahweh. They wouldn't say it because they were afraid of accidentally misspeaking it. So they just said the name. And Moses says, okay, let me talk to God about this and consults God and God says, you are to stone this man. Anyone, any Israelite who misuses my name is to be stoned. And not only that, this is crazy. Whenever God would talk about foreigners or aliens who decided they wanted to join the Israelites because they believed that the Israelites were the chosen people of God, God was really big on, hey, remember how the Egyptians mistreated you? So treat, treat foreigners well. Treat them like you would have wanted to be treated while you were in Egypt. Because, well, they're going to be my people too. So treat them well. The one exception that God makes is if they use, misuse my name, if a foreigner comes and misuses my name, you are to stone them too. This is a big, big deal. So when Jesus, going back to John 8, when he says, before Abraham, I am What they're actually hearing is, before Abraham even was, I am Yahweh, which they know the law. They weren't thinking just this is a hot take. They were thinking, you just pronounced your own death on yourself. We don't know exactly how, but Jesus ends up slipping out of their grasp after this happened. But here's what's crazy. It happens again in John chapter 10. Uh, starting in verse 22, and it goes through verse 20, no, 30, yeah, 39, it, it talks about the conversation that they're having, and he's talking about his relationship with his father and the proof for what he says. Verse 31 of chapter 10, or I'm sorry, I'm going to back up. Verse 25, Jesus replied, I've already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my father's name, but you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me for my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the father's hand. Verse 30, this is the big one. For the father and I are one. 
To claim this is to claim to be God. Verse 31, once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. And Jesus said, at my father's direction, I have done many good works, which they knew about all these miracles. And he said, for which one are you going to stone me? They replied, we're not stoning you for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus replied, it is written in your own scriptures that God said to certain leaders of the people, I say you are gods and you know that the scriptures cannot be altered. So if those people who received the God's message were called gods, why do you call it blasphemy when I say I am the son of God? After all, the father set me apart and sent me into the world. Don't believe me unless I carry out my father's work. But if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done, even if you don't believe me. Then you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in him. Once again, they tried to arrest him, but he got away and left them. The big question that these religious elite people were struggling with wasn't what Jesus was doing. It wasn't even necessarily what Jesus was saying. They're struggling with who Jesus actually was. That struggle still continues to this very day. And there was a fascinating uh, book that was written that, that makes a reference to this. Um, guy by the name of C.S. Lewis. And if you're, if you're into Christian writings, then you know who I'm talking about. If you're not into Christian writings, <clears throat> then at some point in your life, you probably had to read a book called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Chronicles of Narnia, same guy. And he wrote a book called Mere Christianity. It's one of his more popular works that he ever put together. And something that bothered Lewis was the idea that there were people who wanted to appreciate and accept Jesus's moralistic teachings without accepting who Jesus was. Because to accept his teachings is really convenient. You can go by it or maybe veer a little bit from it and that's okay. You still have your options open. That's pretty similar to what our world and our community is facing today. I, I, I want to follow the stuff that, that's really you know, good or politically correct, but in terms of who I follow, who my God, I, I'm going to keep my options open. I want to keep it as light as we possibly can. And Lewis, who, who wrote this decades ago, he said, you just can't do that. It's just not an option. He writes this in Mere Christianity. He said, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell, but you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He did, he has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Now, it seems to me quite obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, 
I have to accept the view that he was and is God. If you've ever heard this discussion about who Jesus was, you might hear C.S. Lewis, this is uh, described as the liar, lunatic, or Lord concept. And he was one of these three things. Either Jesus was not the son of God, he knew that and just decided to lie about it anyway. He was not the son of God, but thought he was, and therefore crazy, and claimed to be the son of God. Or he claimed to be the son of God because he actually was and is the son of God. Now, this hot take that goes back to John 8, before Abraham, I am, this is not the last time it takes place in scripture. If you look, turn over to Acts chapter 5. Now, Jesus has now died. He has risen again. He has ascended up to heaven and his apostles are left to continue his ministry and to spread the good news. Now, in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 17, um, Peter and John, who are two of kind of the prime apostles that, that Jesus set to lead and continue leading this church and, and spreading the good news of Jesus, they have been doing a lot of miraculous signs. And the, the miracles are not what bothered the Pharisees. It's not what bothered the Sadducees. It's not what bothered the religious elite. They liked the miracles. Like, hey, good for everybody, right? Everybody wins. But it was the fact that they said, in the name of Jesus, I tell you. The Pharisees are thinking, wait, we killed that guy. How are you able to do this? So they bring Peter and John before a group called the Sanhedrin. If you don't know, the Sanhedrin is, uh, well, in that time, they consider themselves the elite of the elite when it comes to religious authority amongst Jews. We know more about scripture. We know more about God than anyone else does. And there was a decent number of them. And Peter and John are brought before them. And they're saying, tell us, how, did, how are you doing this? Why are you doing this? What is taking place? And uh, verse 28, I'm going to skip there. They said, we gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. And you want to make us responsible for his death. In which Peter replied, and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. Hot take number two, because Peter is now saying not only was Jesus God, and yes, you did kill him, but also we are a witness, and so is the Spirit of God that lives within us. We talked about this before, but I'll mention it again. To have the Holy Spirit within you is to be the personification, the indwelling of God. And so when Peter says this, he says, there's a piece of God in me that is ready to convict you for what you did. The religious elite who convinced everyone that they didn't do anything wrong are now hearing, we killed the God whom we worship. So they did what any religious elite would do, what any authority would do. They immediately say, let's kill them. Whether they're right or wrong, it's better for us if they kill them. Now, here's the problem. Peter and John were in front of the Sanhedrin because they had healed so many people miraculously that the whole town knew about what was taking place. 
So how does it look on the Sanhedrin if these two men are walking around performing these different miracles and the Sanhedrin comes in and kills them? Why would you do that? And so they're sitting there getting ready to kill him and this wise sage who was amongst them by the name of Gamaliel. I like to think of Gamaliel as Cecil Parker. And if you don't know who Cecil Parker is, think Morgan Freeman. And if and as I'm as we're thinking about this, you know, wise, sagely man, he sits down and he said, Wait, before we kill him, let's talk about this. And he said, There was, you know, not long ago, everybody, there was there's this man by the name of Theodos. And Theodos was trying to convince everybody that he was God. But then there was this uprising amongst all of his followers, and they killed him. And after one of his followers killed him, everyone just spread out and dissipated. The movement was over, and the situation solved itself. Then later, there was this Judas character, not, not the apostle who betrayed Jesus, different Judas, who did the same thing, claimed to be God, got this uprising, this following, and then one of his own followers killed him, and then everybody spread out, and the situation solved itself once again. Now, Gamaliel then says, look, everyone here, I see two options. I see two roads that could take place here. Either road number one, Peter, John, these, these disciples, they're speaking on behalf of this person. If they're not for real, if they're, let's say, liars or lunatics, then one of their own followers is going to kill them. And just like those other situations, the situation will solve itself. That's scenario number one. Scenario number two. Peter, John, these apostles, they're actually telling the truth. And now you can still kill them, but here's what happens. If you kill them, you just declared war on God. Any of you guys want to do that? And they all said, we're going to take a pass. And so from there, they, Gamaliel said, so honestly, my suggestion about this hot take and what they're doing, as offensive as it may be, either... They're going to die because of what they said, or we're going to war with God by killing them. Let's just let them go. And the situation will resolve itself, or they're acting on behalf of God. Let's not get in the way of this. Isn't that so many times the movement of the Spirit in general? The best way we can allow the Spirit of God to work is just not get in the way. (laughs) And so they make this wise decision. At the end of the story... They then take Peter and John and they beat them. They flog them. Which if you know, it's, uh, th- those beatings, some people would die from them. Peter and John not only didn't die, they did something that was, um, that was really unique. Because in verse 41 of chapter 5, it says, The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. You know, does that ever happen here and now? I can't tell you how many times I've I've heard different comments like, man, this Christian nation is just, it's not being Christian anymore. They're trying to take, they're trying to take Jesus out of our schools. Did you hear they're going to, they're going to remove the name of God from this and that and the other? 
from, from, from the pledge or the constitution or, or whatever document it might be, it, there's a chance that we, we could have this, this day where we're not a Christian nation anymore. I can't help but look at Acts 5. You know what kind of nation Rome was? Not a Christian one. It would eventually become that, but not later, not till later. And I wonder if we're concerned about the right things when it comes to being followers of Christ. Because we want to fight tooth and nail to have a comfortable Christian lifestyle. Tell me what is comfortable about hanging on a cross. And Jesus is there saying, anyone who wants to follow me must deny himself and take up that cross and follow me. Then perhaps we might be focused on the wrong things. You know, did you know, statistically speaking, there are more martyrs or people who die in the name of Jesus Christ today than there were in the Roman era? Statistically speaking, someone in the world dies on, on behalf of Jesus Christ every seven seconds. Just not very often in the United States. Because while we can be concerned about you know, them taking Jesus out, that freedom of speech thing is still something that allows us, even if it's not inserted where God is, there's still this right to still speak and, and use our voice. And, and we are afraid that it might become inconvenient or uncomfortable to be a Christian. We're afraid of this one word that could take place and it might make it really hard to be a Christian. And that word is persecution. We are afraid of it. We are so deeply afraid that persecution could happen to us. Here's what I'll say. I've thought a lot about persecution and what that looks like. And here's what I'll say about persecution. Persecution does do this, regardless of how you feel about it. Persecution separates those who love Jesus from those who love the idea of Jesus. If you love Jesus and you hear persecution is coming, it doesn't change anything for you. You might hide out a little more often. That doesn't mean you renounce Jesus. Those who love the idea of Jesus, peace out. I'm gone. Because, well, that's just too much to handle, whatever that might look like. You know, it's fascinating that Peter and John are, are the ones who are rejoicing that they got to suffer on account of Jesus Christ. And, and I want to stop real quick and say, I'm not someone who's praying for suffering to come to us. That, that does not sound good. That's not something I'm like, guys, let's try to get God out so we can then go to prison and be beat. Like, I'm not wanting that by any means. That being said, what I am wondering, though, is are we, being, are we trying to protect Christianity in America when at no point Jesus said he wants any nation to be a Christian nation? I mean, if we want to look at scripture, maybe the verse where Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world would play a role here. Now, it's fascinating that Peter's the guy who ends up saying, uh, who says rejoice for what has happened. Because if you want to look, Peter wrote one of the books of the Bible. How about that? He actually wrote more than one. So, but in 1 Peter chapter 4, he's writing to these different people 
in Roman provinces. And it's in an era when these Roman provinces are starting to face persecution. Because it's not the Sanhedrin that's opposing him as much anymore. Now it's the Roman government. Because to claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior as the highest authority, well, that's just about the most offensive thing you could say to Julius Caesar, or any Caesar for that matter. And it is considered high treason and is therefore punishable by death. And so there's a lot of hesitation that's taking place in these people. And they're wondering, what do we do with this? Well, in 1 Peter chapter 4, I'm going to read just a couple verses, but I'm going to talk about a theme. Um, oh, it's already back here. Verses 12 and 13 of 1 Peter 4. I'm going to go through 14. Uh, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad with these trial, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Did you hear this promise? These trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. For, for if Peter's saying you will see the joy of the Lord. Do you have any idea how short of a list of people in scripture got this? Who actually saw it like we know about it? Isaiah sees it, uh, Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah is taken to the throne room of God. And even he sees it, he says, woe unto me for I am a man of unclean lips for I, a sinful man, have seen the face of God. And Moses in Exodus chapter 29, I believe, is 30, excuse me, 31. God is so pleased with Moses, he said, I am so pleased with you and my presence will go with you and the people despite the sins you have committed. And Moses says, now show me your glory. And God said, I will let you see the back of me, but you can't see my face and live. And yet Peter's saying, if you endure this suffering, you get to see something that like nobody got to see in scripture. Our heroes of faith from Hebrews, uh, was it Hebrews 11? They didn't get, most of them did not get to see the glory of God that Peter is saying, it is yours if this ever comes to you. Now, I don't think this means let's go and hunt down the nations where Christianity is illegal and let's wear uh, Jesus freak shirts right across and just charge right in and, you know, seal our fates. But at the same time, as we live our life, when that persecution comes, if and when it comes, if we look and with courage, we tell these people, maybe even Satan in this scenario, you have no authority over God. And Jesus Christ has overcome anything that you could possibly do to me or any other Christ follower. July 4th, 1776. There's a few people who got together in a room in Independence Hall in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and he signed a document that we know now as the Declaration of Independence. And here's something that 
I'm sure many of you know, but as much as we enjoy this nation, as much as I enjoy this nation, something that those men did when they signed their names, which, side note, you gotta love that whenever you ask for someone's signature, people will ask for their John Hancock, purely because what amazing handwriting. I mean, the guy's a legend for good handwriting. That's all it takes. But these people, when they signed the Declaration of Independence, they knew this. They were signing one of two things. Now, yeah, they were signing a document, but the implications were one of two things. Either number one, they were signing a Declaration of Independence where their names were going to be etched into history and potentially eternity moving forward. We'll see what happens, but there's a lot of life to take place. But these men were signing their names to something that liberated these people, one, or two, they were signing their execution order because this was a move of high treason against England. They knew it for a fact. And several of the people's names were on there were actually captured and killed because their signature is on this document. I see some crummy handwriting, but I don't see any hesitation. I see only people who believe so deeply in what they felt called to do and be, and I can't help but wonder, are we willing to sign our name as well? Because if we can show that last slide, to proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life is an act of defiance. And in this nation right now, it is not. Praise God. I'm thrilled. I really am. I love being able to sit here and worship and not think, am I going to go to prison for this? It's really wonderful. It really is. But I will tell you this. If that changes, I'm still going to worship. might have to be in a basement. That's okay. But do you realize when you proclaim Lord, Jesus is Lord of your life, when you put him on in baptism, when here in just a minute, when you take communion, do you realize that's an act of defiance? That is telling every power and authority on the entire planet, you are not the highest authority because the kingdom that I serve, the king that I serve, it's not of this world. It's actually way better. And here's what's really offensive is then we can look at the people who are offended by this and say, you're welcome to join if you like. How special and how sacred do we get to participate in this life of God that is so hard for some people, that is so hard for us to truly relinquish that control and to feel like we need to feel safe, that's important. I'm for safety, but I'm way more for God. And I know that that cross was as dangerous as it'll ever get, and the cross already took place. The best news The best work that could ever be done has already happened for each and every one of you. When that cross was set up and Jesus' blood was drained out of him until he was dead. And then after three days, this same Jesus rose for each and every one of us that we may have life with God. This Sunday is uh, the beginning of something we're going to do at the end, at the, on the last Sunday of every month, where uh, it's Communion Sunday. And 
There are six, six tables that are around our auditorium, and which is why we didn't do communion early on. I'm going to invite you now to go ahead and stand up and find a table. There's three in the front, three in the back. Go ahead, stand up. Go to a table. All are welcome at the table. That's one of the beautiful things about the table of grace, about the table of communion. Um, and there's, and the idea is kind of being in smaller groups. There's a lot of room over at this table right here. So if you're like, I don't want to uh, be surrounded by like a small number, uh, the, the praise team is going to join me at this smaller table right here. But before we go into that, I hope you understand this. I want to I talk to you about this. From its inception, when you think about the first communion that ever, that Jesus instituted the night before he was crucified, if those men come and arrest Jesus and they were ready to arrest the apostles before they ran away, then I want you to think about this. Approaching the table for communion is also an act of defiance. It is also a hot take that exists in our world where by you saying that I want to put the body and blood of Christ within me, that I may have Jesus within me is to say to all these powers and authorities that you are not the highest. You may have some control, but you don't have the most. And I have given all my control to this Jesus Christ. So here's what we're going to do. Um, there, there are no designated people at any tables. There is no person standing at a table right now who uh, I have said, I need you to pray or lead those thoughts. So I'm going to let you do it organically. Y'all decide how you want to do it, but um, typically there is a prayer for these things. That's what Jesus did. So it's probably a good idea to pray for the body and blood of Jesus. If you want to share thoughts, you can, but um, I'm also going to throw out, and, and one of the reasons we do this is that a meal and the word communion kind of stems from community. And so the idea of these tables is that we experience community with one another while breaking the body and drinking of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to have a couple of questions that are up on the board. Can we, can we go ahead and throw those up? Um, for And these are, these are two. So one, one that I want to talk about is this act of defiance. That's, you know, for some of us, we might want to puff up our chest and, yeah, I'm ready. But for others, like, that's a lot. For, for a lot of Christian martyrs, do you know, sometimes people who want to persecute Christians, they don't go after you. They go after your children. There, there's plenty of stories of that happening. That's a lot. They go after your loved ones. And so I do wonder as you approach the table, what fears do you bring with you about your faith? God says, do not fear, but at no point does he say fear is a sin. So if you want to overcome that fear, you're going to have to name it and say what it is. That's a lot of vulnerability though. So at the same time, the other thing I'm going to invite you to do is, is a question that we ask on a fairly regular basis. What do you need most from God in this season of your life? If God were there at the table with you because, well, he is, what would you tell him you need from him that you may be the person that he has created you and called you to be? That he may be seen and known and heard throughout our community. So I'm going to let it go. You guys pray over this. And have that conversation, ask questions, have these good conversations. And may you be blessed this week. And may you go in peace. Go ahead, have communion together.